Trinidad and Tobago, rated as one of the happiest places on earth, a paradise known for steel pan, calypso and carnival. But there's more to this twin island nation. It's Trini Isis fighters. In this series, we explore various aspects of the radicalization issue to gain different perspectives and insights on the experience of one small country. To counter violent extremism means understanding how it became rooted. Terror in the Caribbean. Phantom or fact? Our episode begins. July 27, 1990, the land of Steel Band and Calypso cowered under the contemptuous hands of an Islamic militant group led by Imam Yassin Abu Bakr. Behind the doors where the decisions of a nation are made, members of parliament dashed to the ground. Then Minister of National Security Joseph Tony was addressing the parliament. And ironically, he was in the midst of mocking the opposition, asking them, Who is your leader? Just then, 42 armed militants entered. Arthur Sanderson, then Minister of Labour, scampered through the tea room and escaped the building, ignoring the words of the Parliament Guard who told him it was unsafe. Sanderson responds, I was police while you were thief, reminding them of his police background. Blood spilled with two dead, MP Leo Devines and Parliament Clerk Lorraine Caballero. The takeover occurred while Parliament was in session at the Red House, the official name for the location of the seat of Parliament in Trinidad and Tobago. 2.8 kilometers away, just 7 minutes away by car, Imam Yassin Abubakar and 71 men took control of the island's only television station, the state-owned TTT. Trinidad and Tobago Television. At 6 p.m. this afternoon, the government of Trinidad and Tobago was overthrown. The Prime Minister and members of the Cabinet are under arrest. We are asking everybody to remain calm. The revolutionary forces are commanded to control the streets. Where is the Prime Minister tonight to address the nation? Where is he? God has removed him. God has removed the authority, not the power, because no man, including myself, has any power. We have only temporary authority because we all die. Veteran journalist Raoul Pantin wrote of the experience in his novel entitled Days of Wrath. With a sense of humor, Pantin recounted Abubakar's invitation to the hostages that they could join him for dinner after the ordeal. Panton makes the point that those who forget the past are bound to repeat it. The death toll climbed with the deaths of Mervyn Teague, Malcolm Basanta, George Joseph and others. Jones P. Madera recounts the ordeal. Well, what happened? It what culminated several weeks of tension in Trinidad and Tobago, which 
I don't think was taken enough notice by the population and by the administration at the time. There were people who were parading across the country, spewing political venom, you might say, in some instances. But essentially, I, I think that perhaps not zeroing in on the activities of a particular group that was championing the cause of, I suppose, all youth, or all the people of Trinidad and Tobago, and that, at least that's what they were saying. And it ended with them seeking a violent overthrow of the government of the day. It happened very suddenly. I think everybody was surprised. And it gave the lie to the feeling that things like that can't happen in Trinidad and Tobago, but it did. Here we were, minding our own business and the business of the population too. On a normal afternoon, I was getting ready to fly off to Jamaica the Saturday morning and dutifully had the equipment that we used at Trinidad and Tobago Television packed and ready to be put in a van for an early trip to the airport in the morning. I was also wrapping up a training program that I had instituted at Trinidad and Tobago Television with the German Foundation, the Frederick Ebert Stiftung Foundation, brought in two skilled cameramen to enhance the skills of, of the staff, the cameramen at Trinidad and Tobago Television. And I had opened the course that morning and was winding up the day's proceeding when suddenly there was chaos outside. And it's a chaos that today I seek to describe with the, you know, pointers to the level of confusion that was taking place. We heard gunshots, and I said, what is this that's going on out there? Literally, in the throes of editing downstairs, realized that there was somebody pointing something at me that looked like a gun. Now, let me tell you, a gun is a most violent, overwhelming contraption. I looked at it, and I looked at the barrel, which appeared bigger than my head. And just after of the barrel was an eye that was staring me straight in the face. And now and then, moving the weapon menacingly across and mumbling something that sounded like, tell him to get out of there, boy. Tell him to get out of there, boy, or I will shoot. And I could not believe what I was seeing. I must have gone into some sort of trance. So the first thing that happened is when reality struck me that I was looking down the barrel of a gun, I screamed out and ducked behind a uh, little glass portico that uh, provided me with a vision of outside. And I heard a knocking on the door that sounded, well, it's hard against hard, but it trying to break down the plywood that uh, dominated the member that, you know, this little boot was constructed of. And then I said, well, what is this? And believe me, all sorts of things happened to you. In the middle of the confusion, I remember what my mother used to say, that her mother told her that if you're going to die, you see all of your life flashing past you. And that happened, strange enough. And when I caught myself, I was like a fetus on the ground. 
holding on to every part of my body I could hold to protect me from this violent weaponry that was outside of the door. And then something came to me and said, listen, the best thing for you to do is to get up and get outside. And I got up and into the hands of this gun-toting youngster who pulled me violently across the room. And I saw my good friend, and a, a guy who I had hired to do parliamentary reports, Raul Pantin, being led away in front of me with his hands in the air and guns pointing at us. And then we were thrust onto the floor not too far from the studio and told to keep our heads down, hands over our head. And if we didn't, we may well lose our head in the floor. Uh, in the chaos I saw, I'm still trying to work out who would take the country. And I saw a couple army boots passing close to my head. So I was convinced that the who was the regiment. Until I started to hear shouts of Allah Akbar. And that confused me because I had no idea who would have been chanting that, forgetting completely that the group I was talking about who was marching across the country at the time was the Jamaat al-Muslimin. And I had no inkling that they were going to commit an act. In fact, I should have because there were signs that presented themselves to me in the office in the weeks leading up to the final countdown. So that shortly after the, the shouts of Allah Akbar, I was made to get up with the rest of the staff that were on the ground in front of the studios. And we started, we were marched to the doorway, all inside of Trinidad and Tobago Television, Television House. I'm told, given orders to stop or to march or to move or to stop. And then I saw coming out of a corridor that exits from the studio, I saw Imam Yasin Abu Bakr, whom I, who I knew and who I covered, and Hazel Ward Redman. She happened to be recording one of her children's programs. So you could imagine what she was exposed to. She was white as a sheet. And he came straight across to me and he said, Mr. Madeira, we have taken over the country. We want the staff to remain very quiet. We don't want anybody to get hurt. I think you should take this over for us now. And uh, I went immediately and started to marshal people, kindly sit down, please be calm. We don't know what's happening. We're going to explain as soon as they get you. And he came to me and he said, let the women and children leave. Showered with utmost respect, I was the spokesperson for the hostages. I was the deliverer of hope, Jamaat al-Muslimin style to the hostages, trying to comfort and console them that we were going to be okay. But I had to be careful that that rule was seen as that rule and that rule only, and that I was not taking any position on what was happening to our country at the time, to the extent that we were burning the city completely down. It started, but didn't continue into very long. I hope that the lessons learned, apart from the characteristic of very unique or the unique characteristics of our population, would be things that would be taken into consideration more and, you know, allow us to be a little more serious about things. 
but that the security arrangements that govern our country are intact and modernized and discussed and fixed so that we uh, are able to enjoy life as Trinidadians and Tobagonians. And I mean, all of those things that guns do. Many of TNT's population are unaware of what really transpired. In this never heard before audio, we listen in on the conversation between Jones P. Madeira, acting as the messenger of Abu Bakr and members of the army, and Brigadier Joseph Theodore, head of the Defense Force and key negotiator during the 
Hostages for sandwiches, that is what it came to, lives for bread, under the hands of a militant religious leader. Meanwhile, the capital city of Port of Spain smoldered, police headquarters burnt almost to the ground, looting was rampant. Abubakar said it was the neglect of the poor that led to this radical move. The truth is the then government, the National Alliance for Reconstruction, had to implement severe economic measures in order to regain stability under the pressure of a $7.4 billion debt. But how else could a nation regain itself without austere measures to bring back balance? Who is Yasin Abu Bakr? Born Lennox Phillips in 1941, he was a trained police officer and migrated to Canada in 1968 to study. It is there he converted to Islam and then returned to his home country in 1978 and became involved in the Jamaat al-Muslimin. It was in the 1970s that Abu Bakr forged links with Gaddafi and Libya. Some say he and his followers are 
vigilantes and not true to Islam. Others say what he did was heroic and others say he was the catalyst for the grounding of radicalization. Abubakar contradicted himself in two media interviews. In a report on Wired 868, an online news publication, he said he knew no one who was recruited by ISIS. But in a television interview in 2019, he said that he knew of people who went to Syria and died. Not a guesstimate, no estimate. But I know people who have gone to Syria and who have died. Abubakar has stated publicly that despite the 24 murders and the coup attempt, he will make no apology and that Trinidad and Tobago should apologize to him. He stated that he would never apologize for setting an example of resistance and revolt. A journalist who attended one of his katbars reported that in his sermon, Abubakar argued that European nations had no moral grounds to criticize ISIS beheadings. Perhaps the most perplexing piece of this puzzle is the overturn of a court of appeal ruling whereby the amnesty granted to Abubakar and his group served as the ground for the surrender following the six-day siege. The London-based Privy Council invalidated the amnesty, yet the Jamaat al-Muslimin members were not re-arrested. It is a scenario that has left many concerned. As the leader of the Western world's only Islamist coup attempt, Abubakar lives a normal life in Trinidad, untouched. In 2006, he was acquitted of charges of conspiracy to murder two members of his organization. In 2007, his mosque was named the JFK International Airport terror plot to blow up tankers because it involved ex-members of his Jamaat. The 1990 coup attempt planted the first seeds of radicalized Islam in the region. As efforts continue to understand why this is so, the weight of scrutiny into the phenomenon seems too light. This series is a project of the Caribbean Investigative Journalism Network, producing groundbreaking investigative stories. Visit our website at www.cijn.org.